Thank you for listening to the Bully Pew podcast brought to you by Protestia.com. I am your host, David Morrill. It is the 29th of January, 2024. Happy Monday to you. Uh, the Bully Pew podcast, part of the various uh, media ministries of Protestia.com, where you can go to find all the latest in Christian polemics and discernment news. Uh, support us financially by going over to Patreon.com forward slash Protestia. $5.95 a month and up, but at any level at $5.95 or up, you get free browsing, ad-free browsing, I should say. Everybody gets free browsing, but you'll get ad-free browsing at protestia.com. A little less distraction as you work through uh, the material and our catalog of theological mischief makers. Uh, you'll also get the full version of Protestia Tonight, which includes the PTVIP segment where we, we talk about the inside baseball stuff or we answer sincere questions and you can drive the content of the program. Um, it's our, our little way of saying thank you uh, for supporting what we're doing here. Uh, we have a lot of wonderful patrons who uh, I'm convinced even if there were no benefits, they would still be, you know, no, no special benefits. They would still be supporting the work being done because it's important. And they know that uh, this is guerrilla journalism that we're engaged in to a, to a large degree. Regular pew sitters, not institutionally connected in some way. Um, we don't have a big uh, cabal of, of folks who are connected to different, uh, you know, quote-unquote powerful Christian ministries out there um, who will, uh, you know, basically cover for us and make us look good and, uh, you know, not criticize us when we need criticizing. Plenty of criticism thrown our way, and, of course, we throw it right back as, as necessary. Um, today on the Bully Pew, we're going to be talking about the Q&A that Southern Baptist Convention President Bart Barber uh, took part in yesterday at FBC um, Jacksonville, was it? I don't know. Some, one of the Florida towns. Um, yeah, there, I mean, there are a lot of First Baptist churches of fill-in-the-blank. Um, and I, I'm actually very much in support of Baptist churches just calling themselves Baptist churches, um, you know, versus the, the trend that's been going on for most of my lifetime at this point of having what I like to call church 2.0 names, but we won't chase that squirrel, uh, for now. The, 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 the biggest and most interesting part of that interview, some of you may have already seen some of this because we started talking about it last night on the internet, but the, the biggest smoking gun, if we, if we want to call it that, of that interview was uh, Bart Barber admitting, or, or at least saying out loud in, in, in a, this Q&A, that the, the Guidepost Sex Abuse Task Force report that was commissioned uh, in 2021, the messengers vote on this, for those of you that remember, um, and this is going to be, by the way, uh, pretty much all SBC for this entire podcast. So if that doesn't interest you, feel free to turn it off. Although I would argue that even if you're not in the Southern Baptist Convention, the goings-on of the Southern Baptist Convention are important to conservative evangelicalism and the Reformed world as a whole. And so it's it's probably still important, um, but I'll let you decide. I just want to give you a fair warning that it's going to be SBC from here to the conclusion of this podcast. Um, so back in 2021, uh, you know, it... it it was the biggest, uh, most attended SBC ever, as far as I understand. Nashville, Tennessee, uh, something like 20,000 messengers. Some, some insane amount of people are there. Um, I'm there as media and also as a messenger. Uh, 
uh, and the the race for Southern Baptist Convention president had kind of um, you know become I said I guess more contentious than it usually would be. Uh, it took on kind of a, a an even even more um, political uh, tone and flair, and you you had. Uh, a handful of can I think there were like four guys at that point. So you had um, uh, the what I would say the platform pick Ed Litton, you know the the um, the insider pick, the pick of the the SBC institutionalists and elites and, and insiders. Um, you had Al Mohler running. You had Mike Stone, and you had um, uh, oh gee I forgot his name uh, Randy no. Um, oh, some of you will correct me on that, but you had basically four guys. And uh, in the initial vote, the only two that had enough votes to continue to a runoff were Mike Stone and Ed Litton. Ed Litton ends up winning the SBC presidency um, on the back of, I would argue, uh, quite, the, quite the strategic little smear. So prior to the vote, uh, the rumor um, being spread around Hannah Kate Williams confronts Mike Stone apparently in the hallway of the uh, um, the convention center where all this is going down uh, in Nashville and then the rumor mill starts that, that somehow he um, reacted badly to her or he responded badly to her There's, in some way there was some sort of a hard-headed mistreatment of this person who um, is a self-described sex abuse survivor uh, again we've talked about it before but I have yet to see any evidence of that I'll, I'll say it um, as litigious as she seems to want to be. Um, I don't put myself at any risk by saying I haven't seen any evidence. I have seen some evidence in the, in the term, in, in the, uh, um, in the form of another pastor basically directly denying some of her claims, uh, in video. We've, we've reported on that before, but in the wake of this, um, the, the SBC sort of platform, uh, cabal, uh, the intelligentsia, uh, the big Eva types and things like that, uh, realized that, hey, in 2021, everybody's talking about Me Too. Everybody's talking about sex abuse and and this apparent undercurrent in all of society of um, men uh, exercising their power over women in the workplace and other places uh, to, to their advantage. We don't know the scale of this, but it seems like it's everywhere. Every two seconds, there's another news report, another Harvey Weinstein kind of thing coming out. And much like evangelicals are prone to do, much like church culture is prone to do, it moves very much, at least in my lifetime, in the wake of the secular culture. So, oh, so, so se- secular music is, is, seeing a resurgence of um, kind of English folk pop music, you know, Mumford and Sons kind of stuff. Um, and so, you know, about a year later, there's a, it's always a lagging indicator. About a year later, you see Christian bands doing the same thing, worship bands doing the same thing, you know, basically uh, then shilling their Christianized version of Mumford and Sons. Just to, to throw out an example there. Oh, you know, the, the, the world is into hip-hop and rap, so next two seconds later you see Christian hip-hop and rap out there. But it takes a while before we can even say that it's, it's, that it's catching up in terms of quality. By the time it does, the popular trends have moved on and we're on to something else. Uh, you know, Christian culture does this with everything. So in 2021, when all this is going down, Harvey Weinstein and Me Too had been a thing for a few years at this point. And yet... 
uh, the messengers in the, the convention center uh, have all grown up in a Christian world where um, synchronization with the preferences of the world, sort of looking like the world, it, it, it's, it's just taken for granted. That's how we do evangelism now. And so if the world is uh, focused on Me Too, the world is focused on this, this apparent or supposed undercurrent of sex abuse going on in, uh, you know, all over the place, um, it's kind of like institutionalized you know, systemic racism. Um, you're not even really allowed to question it anymore the actual particulars of what's going on. You just have to, it just has to be a presumption. It has to be a presupposition that there's underlying um, systemic racism. In the same way, there's underlying systemic uh, sex abuse and misogyny and patriarchy and all of these things. It's just, it was just, it's, it's supposed to be accepted. Um, and, and if you don't accept it, well, then you're a, you're, you know, sexist and misogynist and all these things. But in, in, as this is going on, uh, you, you, you find that uh, the politically minded in the SBC and those who are um, really attempting to consol- I would already consolidate their, their control over the institutions realize this is a good wedge issue. This is a good wedge issue. So, so Hannah Kate Williams is crying. She's claiming that she's a sex abuse survivor. We don't know whether this is true or not. But this can be useful. So you find so Grant Gaines, who's the the son of former SBC president Steve Gaines, and an, and, a, and an up and comer in the insider SBC platform uh, cabal, walks up to the microphone to to move to commission a uh, a task force to figure to figure this out. Basically, under the assumption under the assumption that be, uh, some anecdotal stories and some other things that have come out are, are likely indicative of some massive uh, sex abuse scandal in the SBC um, similar to the Roman Catholic Church and, and the, you know, the priests and, and young boys uh, scandal uh, that, that rocked that world uh, years and years ago. Uh, this is, this is uh, the SBC's version of this is probably under the, under the surface and we have to commission a uh, a, uh, a task force to figure it out. And so the SBC messengers are watching this and saying, oh man, I mean, sex abuse and Me Too and all of this is, is all over the place. I mean, it would make sense that it's in the church too. I mean, that, 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 that only makes sense to us. And, and we've been conditioned that everything that is a concern of the world and everything that the world thinks is important and everything that the world wants, we're supposed to you know, basically give them that, but the Jesus flavored version, we're supposed to synchronize with the culture and, and make sure that the culture knows that we're, we're not their enemies, that we're on their side. Um, that, that they, that they know that, um, this isn't some, uh, disconnected fuddy duddy, uh, you know, f- uh, fundamentalist place, uh, that we're basically just like them, but we found we, but, but we know Jesus now. And so in, in that light, it was, it's very easy to manipulate, this room full of evangelicals into going along with this, really apart from any evidence. I mean, there's no evidence except for a, a young girl crying next to him and his claims that this is a major issue. And so the messengers uh, approve of this. They they commission uh, a, a task force. I believe Ed Litton chose the task force. And the task force uh, commissions Guidepost Reports, an independent investigative firm, secular investigative firm, to 
investigate the Southern Baptist Convention, investigate the the executive committee, which is the the group or the corporation that, that runs the affairs of the Southern Baptist Convention when the convention itself is not meeting. Um, the convention is technically just a meeting, of course, the, the, the two days where uh, everybody gathers and, and you know, uh, controlled uh, chaos ensues. Um, so Guidepost is looking into the executive committee. They're looking into all of these things. They're, they're, they have a, a hotline where you can you know, call or email or something and report stuff that they'll then look into. Um, they spend five, six million dollars, some crazy amount like this, whatever it was, to get this done. And the report they come back with uh, basically showed, and we reported on this at the time, Oh, well, well, there actually is no systemic sex abuse cover-up problem in the Southern Baptist Convention. This is actually uh, not a you know something that's that's analogous to Roman Catholic priest scandal or something like that. This is not the this is not the SBC's uh, the moment where everybody figures out that the largest Protestant denomination in the country is actually a secret haven for sex abusers. Rather, they spent a good portion of the time in this report talking about Jennifer Lyell and David Sills and Johnny Hunt and this 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 other uh, young pastor's wife and whatever went on for two seconds in a hotel room. And, I mean, that became a bulk of the supposed evidence against the Southern Baptist Convention. Both of these issues are consenting adults. And yeah, I mean, neither one of them are good. Neither one of them are, are somehow you know innocent in these situations, but, uh, it can very reliably be argued that they're not cases of sex abuse, um, in the way that the, the public would tend to think sex abuse is. And, and the only way that they really could be considered sex abuse, first of all, like David Sills and Jennifer Lyell never actually did anything. I, don't, I hopefully I don't have to go into too many details for you to understand what I mean by that, but they never actually did anything. It was very much, uh, as far as I can tell, an emotional affair, and that that that's that's not good. That's not a good thing. It's not like that's they're off the hook. But a lot of people could be forgiven for for saying, "Wait a minute!" But you characterize this as sex abuse. This was put in a report that was investigating sex abuse, and a, a lot of the report was spent describing this this situation. <coughs> uh, in the same way, the he said, she said. Um, thing that happened with Johnny Hunt, the reason that he's suing right now is because the details of that are also not, we're, we're not clearly uh, fitting into this category. And, and yet, and yet, in the wake of this, of this report, uh, the, the, the line was, the media line was, this is the, I mean, how the SBC covered up sex abuse, blah, 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 blah. They had a secret database of sex abusers, blah, 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 blah. It's like, um, yeah, just a little bit of investigation demonstrated that the quote unquote secret list was basically a Google alert and collecting like news clippings and media reports. Um, it wasn't like the, the Southern Baptist Convention Executive Committee had some sort of some sort of secret knowledge about a bunch of stuff going on that they weren't unwilling to tell anybody. Like, this was all public information. A good amount of it was like so-and-so was um, uh, convicted for such-and-such. Like, that's not secret. That's public. That's out there. And yet, that became the narrative. And Bart Barber went on, at, you know, after 2022. So, 2022... Um, uh, Bart Barber is elected SBC president 
after Willie Rice drops out, Bart Barber is now tapped to be the um, the the platform choice, the insider choice, and that's really just because Bart Barber will do whatever the platform wants. Like 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 if Bart Barber gets a phone call from J.D. Greer or Steve Gaines or James Merritt or whoever, he's just going to do whatever they say, and they, they they knew they could rely on him. What, what they didn't rely on, or what, what, what they didn't uh, count on, I suppose, is Bart Barber can't shut up. Bart Barber's got to talk. He's got to tweet. He's a self-admitted Twitter addict. Um, he, loves to, he loves to hear himself talk. And so here comes the call from Anderson Cooper in 60 Minutes to talk about the sex abuse scandal in the Southern Baptist Convention. And here comes Bart Barber out there to the world, out to, to the uh, pagan secular media to virtue signal. And just remind them, hey, it's, it's it, you know, yeah, this was awful, but we're fixing it. This was the worst thing ever, but we're fixing it. This hurt me. Um, this this was the the tenor of that interview um, that some of you saw, I'm sure. I mean, he said, like like Anderson Cooper, you know, talked about well, these these sex abuse survivors are reaching out to the executive committee uh, for help, and they were ignored. And and Bart doubles down. He's like, no, they they weren't just ignored. Um, they were their, their their motives were impugned. We attacked them. This is how he characterizes this um, to the world again. The worldly media um, just assuming that we have to accept the premises and and the position of the world uh, in order for them not to hate us. Otherwise, I mean, we might lose we might lose churches. We might lose attendees. We might lose influence. And then yesterday, uh, Bart is doing a Q and A down in Florida. And he admits it. He just admits it straight up. Yeah, that uh, that guidepost report, it didn't show any failure to report by the executive committee. It didn't show any actions by the executive committee that would have contributed to abuse or the continuation of abuse. It, it showed that we didn't do anything like that. You know that that and, and all he all he was left with was, was well, some people were mistreated. Whatever that means, they were mistreated. But that basically saying, hey, the, the, the executive committee is not legally liable for some sort of uh, negligence here. Uh, you know, and, and, and then we're all looking like, yeah, we've been saying this since the beginning. While you were going out and smearing Southern Baptists, basically, and allowing uh, secular media to the extent that you could affect anything, allowing them to smear Southern Baptist churches as like havens for abusers. <laughs> and, and the... Uh, again, I, I I can't overemphasize that that this entire thing started as power brokers in the SBC were willing to uh, let regular churches be castigated and smeared and labeled as um, supportive in some way of of sexual abuse in order to have a wedge issue that could that could they could harm conservatives with. That was how this all started. I mean, and, I mean, I mean. Imagine, imagine the the gall that it takes before the Lord to be willing to to forward for as long as you can get away with it a lie about um, all Southern Baptist churches, including theirs, by the way, in order to uh, consolidate control over the convention and the institutions. And it, uh, imagine that. It's hard to imagine, honestly. And, and now when the rubber meets the road, when the predictions that we all made are starting to come true, that, yeah, this, this, this makes uh, the convention and potentially, although, you know, not yet, but potentially churches legally on the hook 
for all of this. Um, now all of a sudden they're changing their tune. You know, this is why the the uh, the executive committee's law firm uh, signed on to the amicus brief in Tennessee uh, to uh, maintain the a statute of limitations or reinforce a statute of limitations on civil claims of of uh, culpability for sex abuse by third parties. It's, it's like they, they realized, um, yeah, we, we might wind up in control of this whole thing, but there will be nothing to control because it's going to be, it's going to be plundered. It's going to be plundered by lawyers and litigation and accusations that we have no ability to uh, actually um, figure out if they're true or not. We, we might wind up uh, financially on the hook for that anyway. And now this, all of a sudden they're changing their tune. The, the little game they were playing to drive a wedge uh, – within the messengers a wedge between uh, themselves and any conservative candidates uh, all of a sudden that doesn't seem like so much of a game anymore I mean that so that that was the big smoking gun of the Bart Barber Q&A was he's now he's admitting that all the things that him and his friends have been saying um, and all the virtue signaling they've been doing pursuant to this uh, sex abuse task force and then the implementation task force um the implementation task force that, that was then commissioned in 2022, um, that all of that might wind up uh, biting the entire convention in the rear end. That, that they again, they might be in control of something, but it's not. They might be in control, but there's nothing left to control at that point. There's nothing left to, um, in terms of the organization's uh, influence. So, the, a, a couple of the other things he said I thought were interesting. And I'll, 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 I'll end with a couple of little asides. Um, he, he, he described, as, and I'm heard, I've heard him tell this story before, but he described, uh, you know, being called the pastor. God called him to be a pastor at 11 years old. It's, it's the, he believes that. He, he says that. I don't know if that's true or not, but he says it. And then it, in telling stories about apparently being a 16-year-old itinerant preacher, 16-year-old Bart Barber, um, I guess uh, providing pulpit service for churches around Arkansas. I don't know. I'm imagining a, a, if a 16-year-old walks into my church and started preaching, I probably wouldn't be too keen on that. Uh, I, I thought that was interesting. Um, he also said uh, when he was asked, how'd you become Southern Baptist Convention president? And he kind of told the story a little bit about, Bobby said, no, people asked for years and years and years and years, would you will be willing to be nominated. No, 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 no. I'm not willing to be nominated um, because I'm busy with my church. I got a family, all, all, all good reasons, by the way, not to be, not to try to take on that responsibility. But then when, when uh, Willie Rice, you know, pulled out with the Jeff Ford scandal in, in the wake of the Jeff Ford scandal, Willie Rice pulls, pulls his name from consideration, asked not to be nominated. Uh, it was a five alarm fire. The platform had to find somebody and, and Bart Barber was the, was the sacrificial lamb apparently. And and they knew. I mean, he was going to be a he was going to be a a faithful foot soldier for the cause, uh, and and that's what that's exactly what they got. You know, I mean, aside from this, some of the dumb stuff he says in public, uh, he's cer- certainly willing to uh, fulfill the role of holding that holding that place for a couple of years. Um, but but he he tells this story. But to Anderson Cooper, he said that the reason, and I see if I get this quote right, the reason that he is the SBC president is because the messengers don't agree with the sex abuse responses of the Southern Baptist Convention. 
So he's virtue signaling to Anderson Cooper uh, back, you know, last year, whenever that interview was, saying, saying, uh, yeah, all this, all this horrible stuff. It hurts me. He's starting to get teary-eyed, and then says, well, the reason that I'm the president of the convention is because our messengers don't agree with that. They don't agree with how we've mishandled sex abuse and how awful all this has been. Um, and then yesterday says, well, no, actually the reason I'm the, the convention president is because I was tapped. Because the, the people that were that, that were behind Willie Rice and wanted Willie Rice to be the the SBC president, uh, you know, called my name to, to you know, be chosen as the, as the platform candidate in 2022. So I, I, I found that, I found that a little interesting. The virtue signal for the world did certainly didn't line up with the, the much more reasonable and obvious thing we all knew that he told the, you know, Southern Baptist church members in this Q and a, uh, <laughs> I thought that was a little, uh, it was a little telling. Um, yeah, the, the, the other thing I found, one of the other things I found interesting with this Q and a was Bart was, uh, asked one of the questions he was asked was about the statement on uh, the Dallas statement on social justice, and did he agree with it? You know, and what was his view? And he basically uh, said, "Yeah, who cares about statements? They don't do anything. These statements where a bunch of named people sign on to something, and um, you know, they they don't actually accomplish anything." At which I found terribly ironic from somebody who has served on the Southern Baptist Convention Resolution Committee. What are SBC resolutions? Well, they're just statements, like the statement on social justice. They're like the Southern Baptist Convention on, you know, this year on this date says this, you know, you know, wherefore blah 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 blah. And there's a, a statement about you know some some issue going on. There's a statement on abortion. There's a statement on genocide in some you know third world country that whatever it is, and then the resolutions committee brings this statement to be read to the messengers who then can vote on, yes, we, we want to uh, uh, amend this statement, we want to change it, we want to vote against it, you know, ba- you know. but at the end of the day, assuming they approve it, it's just a statement. It doesn't do any, much like the statement on social justice, according to Bart Barber, doesn't do anything. All those resolutions that he uh, you know, spent time uh, preparing and, and for the messengers and, uh, and all that, well, uh, I mean, I guess they don't do anything either, right? What's the difference? I just said that 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 I that irony was not missed um, on me. But the 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 bigger thing, I think, and the, the the bigger thing that Southern Baptists need to know going into, and oh, and he also, by the way, he also uh, said I don't agree with the law amendment. So I, I don't think the I don't, I don't like the law amendment. Actually, let's talk about it. We got a few more minutes. Let's talk about that real quick. So, so the the, the amendment that was uh, put forward by Mike Law and um, and Sanchez, I think, had had uh, amended it as well, but it was was approved by the messengers to to amend the Southern Baptist Convention Constitution to clarify, specify that being in friendly cooperation um, could not include having women pastors, basically. And there have been and and. There have been some SBC leaders like J.D. Greer who have said, hey, I disagree with the law amendment for, like, you know, um, precedent-setting reasons. We shouldn't be amending the Constitution for, you know, things that the messengers should be able to vote on later or, or that the Baptist faith and message should talk about, yada, 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 yada. Um, but Bart kind of took the Adam Greenway approach in this Q&A last night where he said, um, you yeah, know, 
and and this was part, by the way, of James Merritt's poison pill cooperation group dropped in at the last second in last year's meeting. Um, Bart said, "Hey, you know, we we I don't I disagree with the law amendment because it doesn't leave us leeway in this area, and this is what the cooperation group is studying: the limits of friendly cooperation." Um, in terms of women pastors, because we have so many churches in the convention here uh, who, who they they call their uh, director positions or other positions in the church, they call them pastor. But we need to find out if they're actually pastors or not. You know, he, this is the Rick Warren approach, by the way. This is the, this what Saddleback did with women pastors was basically say, um, the Bible talks about the church being gifted pastors, and we're going to consider this to be something different than the actual office of elder. The actual office of elder, um, bishop, overseer, um, that office, we're going to consider that the pastor to be different than that. That way, we can label all sorts of people working in this church, men, women, you know, whatever, as pastors. And of course, like like Saddleback went to the mat over this and was disfellowshipped from the convention. And in the wake of that, James Merritt and all, and Steve Gaines and J.D. Greer and Ed Litton and a whole bunch of SBC presidents in a sh- in a in a in a show of quote unquote authority, um, camp out at one of the mics for the entire uh, you know the entirety of the 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 sort of the business session until the last second. So there's very little time left. And then Merritt brings a motion to the floor. I, I move to, to commission the SBC president to um, uh, appoint a task force to study friendly cooperation. Now, this is after, after the messengers have spoken loudly about this issue. The messengers have said, the messengers have said um, we're willing to change the Baptist faith and message to clarify that when we say pastor, we mean elder we mean the office. It's not just a not just a term that can be used willy nilly. But we're going to, we're going to uh, amend the Baptist faith and message to say pastor, elder, you know, bishop, overseer. All all of these these uh, words refer to the same office. And we're going to overwhelmingly approve an amendment to the Constitution, which you have to do two years in a row. But we're going to cast the first vote to amend the SBC Constitution to clarify that having women pastors is not in friendly cooperation. So we, we've done it both ways. We've clarified what the term means. And we've clarified that um, because the term means the office, we don't support women in that office, as is consistent with Scripture. And yet, even after disfellowshipping Saddleback Church over this issue, and the funny thing is, Rick Warren didn't even make the case that, hey, when he didn't even make the case that, hey, when we say pastor, we're not really talking about the office of elder, which as far as I understand is exactly what they did. He basically um, threw a Hail Mary and tried to make a case for uh, this shouldn't divide us. Let every church do what they want. That was his Hail Mary case. People weren't buying it. There was too much at that point. There was too much bad press. Too much circulation of of the picture of his church laying hands on women and saying, "Here are our new women pastors." Southern Baptists weren't into that. Um, and yet, the the actual underlying practice of Saddleback Church in this area, what they were doing, um, is is basically the concern that Bart Barber is talking about in this Q and A. 
So Barbara was saying, hey, the reason that we need this cooperation group is because we have to figure out the difference between these churches that are actually having women serving in the office of pastor in opposition to scripture and, and in opposition to the Baptist faith and message, um, or churches who um, she's not actually a pastor, they're just calling her a pastor. She's the children's ministry director. She's the, you know, the women's ministry director. And they're calling her a pastor of women's ministries or pastor of children's ministries. And we have to figure out that difference. I would argue we don't need to figure out that difference. We've already figured out that difference when we said pastor means this. And so by churches re- continuing to use that terminology, they're, they're, they're doing one of two things. These churches uh, are doing one of two things. They are either watering down the office of pastor to divorce it from the authority that it's supposed to have, the preaching and teaching um, authority that is delegated to the office of pastor within the church and saying, well, hey, we can call anybody a pastor. They don't actually have to be serving in that role officially and biblically. They're either watering it down like that or... Or they're saying, um, no, we're okay with women actually serving in this office as prohibited by Scripture. It's, it's one, one of two things. And a lot of churches play fast and loose with this because they want to have their cake and eat it too. You know, Again, evan- evangelicalism is rife with world synchronization, trying to please the world, give the world what it wants, trying to see how, how much... Um, how much can we take away from Christian uh, practice and tradition in order to please the world um, while still technically remaining between the lines? You know, this is, this is normative worship uh, practiced at the, in the area of church methodology and, and ecclesiology to say, how much can we, how much can we innovate and be novel and modify uh, what our church might do in order to, please the world. We're going to give the world as much as we possibly can while still trying to, you know, being able to say, hey, we're still biblical on paper. I mean, it might be a paper we filed away, the world can't even see, but it's there and we're still biblical. This is the spirit that's behind uh, messing with terms like this. Um, They want to be able, a lot of these churches, evangelical churches, SBC churches, non-denominational churches, they want to be able to look at the world and they want to be able to look at disaffected uh, mainliners, you know, former Episcopals and former Lutherans and former Methodists and things that it, that they don't want, and they don't want an LGBTQ church. They don't want that kind of thing going on. So they leave and they and they find the trendy, professional, flashy, uh, smooth and easy non-denominational church down the street. Um. And yet this, this, this person that's left is still enthralled with the ideas of the world. They're still um, beholden to feminism and egalitarianism. So how does this non-denominational SBC uh, uh, you know, mega church or, or even just mega church style but smaller, how, how do they attract those people? Well, they, they play fast and loose with their terms. They, they don't use the women can't be pastors as a teaching opportunity to teach something about God's creation and his intent for um, marriage and the church and, and human institutions. Instead they say, Oh, I, I think we found a loophole here. We can, we can call our 
ministry directors and things like that, these women that are uh, like in full-time ministry, they, they work here at the church, we can call them pastors. And when, the, when those fuddy-duddy conservatives over at Protestia or wherever say, hey, you have women pastors, we can say, no, she's not actually in the office of pastor. She doesn't actually control things around here. She doesn't rule as a pastor, um, but she is, she's doing shepherding work, so we call her a pastor. And yet they can turn to the world and who the world wants to see feminism. They want to see egalitarianism. They want to see a, a flattening of gender distinctions and say, no, we have men and women pastors. You can see it on our website. So, I mean, we, 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 we don't squelch uh, women when they want to serve. Uh, we're, we're just like you. That's the spirit behind this. Um, they, they want to look palatable to the world and yet have a sort of get-out-of-bad-theology-free card when called out on it. And so when, when Bart Barber says, oh, the cooperation group, the cooperation group needs to study exactly what this means, and we need to figure out how we're, how we're going to uh, differentiate uh, between these churches that actually have women um, serving in pastoral roles and churches that just call their women pastors, even though they're not really pastors, um, this is all in the same spirit. The cooperation group and this move in the convention is the same worldly, please the world, um, the world is watching spirit that we've seen for years and years and years now, not only in the convention, but just in evangelicalism as a whole. Um, most of us, myself included, have never known a church culture, an, e an e evangelistic, uh, or e I should say evangelical culture that hasn't had a strong helping of world synchronization as part of its efforts. Um, the innovation of how can we be pleasing to the world? How can we give the world a little bit of what it wants to lure them in uh, to the church? Um you know, and, and even when we lure them into the church, it's hey, let's let's make sure that they that they understand the spiritual benefits of being in the church, the spiritual benefits of Jesus, prior to um, any sort of gospel conversion per se. We're going to decide how we're going to chop up the truth of God's word and sort of deliver it in little little snippets that will please them, and then hopefully by the time that we're getting around to the harder truths, like you're a sinner bound for hell. Um, the spiritual benefits will be so strong they 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 won't be able to help but believe they'll they'll, they'll finally give in um this is like the costco sample version of of evangelism we'll give them little tasty treats and little benefits and you know dollar 50 hot dog uh, combos and things like that to get them in here so that eventually they'll buy the more the more expensive stuff they'll they'll, they'll you know realize the benefits they'll they'll um belong before they believe and that's that's the strategy it's it's a world pleasing strategy but it can't help but compromise in fact that it's it not only winds up being a compromise in the message it ends up being a compromise in the delivery of the message in the methodology um i mean this is why we see churches that are massive institutions with 800 programs and the bulletin is like here's the big list of of benefits here's the menu that you can um, pick and choose from, uh, you know, we're, we've commoditized um, Christian living. We've commoditized church ministry. Uh, we've turned it into 
uh, a list of benefits and things that people get for themselves. Because if we don't, after all, I mean, if we don't, the church down the street will do it. And then the people will go there. Uh, and and we, we've stopped relying on, we've stopped relying on God to give and take away, to provide the increase or the decrease. Um, and, and we've decided that there are things we can do to engineer it. There are things we need to do to engineer it. Um, you know, if, if the church is essential to the ministry of the gospel and it is, it's a very small move, a very small sidestep to say our church is essential to the gospel. If the church is, uh, and, and, um, the great commission and the, the propagation of the gospel through the good news and the body of Christ is the ordained, um, you know, the God ordained method by which, um, he grows his church and it is, it's a very small sidestep to say that because, um, God has chosen to do it that way, our church is needed. Our platform is needed. Our influence is needed. We do good work for the gospel and we can't lose that. Otherwise we're doing something wrong. And so just a little bit of compromise here, just, 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 I mean, offer him just a little bit here, just turn the music up a little bit more. Just, I mean, pick these songs, do it this way. Uh, present things this way because um, that way we're we're signaling to the world that we're with them. We're signaling to the world that um, we're not going to be asking we're not going to be asking them to pick up their cross. We're not going to be preaching uh, the law that condemns them to hell prior to the gospel of Christ that saves them from that hell. So much as we're going to be talking about the the amazing benefits of doing it the Jesus way. All of this really is the, it's, it's the underlying reason why the Southern Baptist Convention got itself stuck in this, this sex abuse task force lie. It's, it's the underlying reason why we can't just plainly say pastor means this and women are not allowed to be pastors. It's really that plain. And yet, um, that's too much because there are churches in the convention that are innovating and they want to have their cake and eat it too. And, um, you know, God forbid that the Southern Baptist convention gets smaller or less, you know, numerically influential in its pursuit of faithfulness to the word of God. We can't have that, you know, in fact, if you're okay with that, you know, you're probably not really gospel focused. You don't really understand what's going on here. Um, yeah, we're, we're, as I always say, we're going to, we're going to talk about this more, but, but it's, it's just, yeah, it, <laughs> it drives me up a wall. I suppose that this isn't, um, more transparent, uh, to people that words need to mean what they mean. And pastor means, and you know, I mean, the, the, the new Testament is, is more likely to call, uh, you know, this office elder than pastor, of course. But if we've said, Hey, we're calling this pastor. That's what we mean. That, that's okay. As long as it's biblically defined and, and biblically regulated, that's okay. Um, but instead we have churches that, that want to play fast and loose with it in order to, again, please the world in order to be attractional to the world. That's what's behind all of this. And I hope, I hope this discussion has been uh, helpful uh, I'll probably probably be digging into this in a little bit more of a comprehensive fashion, uh, certainly leading up to um, the meeting in June, just to so people are aware what the stakes are, what's going on, and 
Yeah, it's it's usually about this time, by the way, that there's someone out goes comes out there and says, "God doesn't need the SBC, you know, give it to the wolves." Um, fine. I mean, that, that that's not that's not a you know sinful position or something like that. Um, the question the question with Southern Baptist Convention, uh, you know, Southern Baptist pew sitters and and churches and pastors and things is is the is the cooperative nature of the ministry is still valuable in some way. Are the seminaries valuable in some way? And, and I would argue, yeah, the seminaries are valuable so long as they're faithful to the word. And very often they're not. Um, the seminaries are actually, you know, people don't realize this, the seminaries, as far as I understand, are pretty much financially solvent on their own in, in terms of the cooperative program giving. Like, I, I'm not sure that the cooperative program giving is necessary for, especially for like Southern and, and um, Southwestern, Southeastern, I mean, you know, the, the bigger SBC seminaries could probably do it on their own without CP giving. But they need the credibility of the convention in order to be the standard bearers for uh, Southern Baptist, for, for Baptist seminaries. They need to be able to say, uh, our work here is supported and endorsed by 40,000 churches or whatever. So... They, they do need to remain Southern Baptist entities for that reason. If they went off on their own and no longer bared the label of Southern Baptist, you would see them decline sharply and substantially in a very short order. Um, anyway, thank you for tuning into this Bully Pew podcast for the 29th of January, 2024. Stay tuned to protest here for all your latest in Christian polemics and discernment news. The conversation continues there, of course. We'll see you again next time. As always, Semper Reformanda.